Hey friends, it is me, JSF, with my boy, John Michael. Hello, hello. There he is again. So welcome to the Bookshelf episode uh, for macroeconomics. Remember, this is again just kind of a more academic take on macroeconomics where we really set out um, kind of foundational knowledge, just an um, explanation of what it is, what its purpose yeah. is. Um, it's the Lindy notes, as we keep saying, you right. know, the Cliff Notes version, a little snapshot. That's all. It's no no big deal. Just a little. Well, I mean, it's a big deal because it's really helpful and useful, but it's just a snapshot. little, what is macroeconomics? Send it to your friends, your family, whoever. Come on. Hit us up on Twitter. Give us all uh, all your contact info and all your mentions. <laughs> we ready to hang out about because we want to talk about macroeconomics. We hope you enjoy the episode. All right, friends. So we've been talking about economics in this module. So far, we've covered capitalism uh, and socialism. Um. And so now I think only those two just yeah, very, very, very simple, very easy topics so far. Um, no, I think we've done I, I'm, I'm proud of the kind of the conversations we've had. Um, I think the bookshelf, um, the previous two bookshelves have been really good uh, as far as explaining and laying out that foundation for what they are. Um, so that, you know, that kind of sets the playing field for the conversation that we then had about those two topics. Um, and so. With that being said, kind of we're in this economics module where we've talked about capitalism, we've talked about socialism, and those are really like state, like you know the high as the highest level that goes to is kind of on the on the state level. Um, but really, we need to look. I mean, in this globalized, hyperconnected world, we need to kind of pan back even further beyond just nation states and and geopolitical things and, and talk about macroeconomics, right? And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. This bookshelf is um really on macroeconomics and i think lindy to kick us off the the question that i have is like where did the branch of economics known as macroeconomics come from right like and what really generally speaking are macroeconomic approaches that that we're trying to wrestle with here yeah well i mean economics is kind of interesting you know it used to be part of uh, political science Right. In fact, way back when Adam Smith uh, wrote Wealth of Nations in 1776, about 20 years before, he'd wrote, written uh, a theory of moral sentiments, and it was actually ethics and philosophy. It was a branch of of that. And huh. then it kind of became political economics, you know, and um, a branch of politics and that sort of thing. But then after that, uh, we. We with Alfred Marshall at Cambridge at the end of the 19th century and trying to figure out, like you said, are we going to be focusing more on um, socialism? Are we going to be focusing more on capitalism? And it was all reduced down to kind of the notion of microeconomics. And that was what kind of ocean is the fish going to be swimming in? So in other words, what sort of ocean or what sort of a climate does a, a business or a corporation or an economic entity, what are they, they needing to, to swim through? And that's microeconomics, right? So you're trying to figure out, is it in a, a context of monopoly? Is it in a context of, um, of 
free markets and that sort of a thing, especially when you're looking at a capitalist structure. Or if you shift over, as we've looked at recently, into um, to socialism sure. and the state playing a greater position. But, but we all remember back in the 30s, the entire world, starting with the West, primarily starting in, in Wall Street and the United States, but, but kind of metastasizing throughout the world, we ended up with this thing we call the Great Depression, right? A recession mm -hmm. that got huge and deep and was really scary. Unemployment in this country alone, in the United States, got to like 25%, maybe even higher. And so you ended up with people uh, essentially needing to say, what do we do uh, more globally? What do we do to balance um, money supply? How do we deal primarily with inflation? How do we deal with unemployment? And the big name that kind of launched itself, whether you agree with his theories or not, on the global stage was John Maynard Keynes from the UK, from Cambridge. And it was in response to the Great Depression, right? So, and because all along, um, countries and even regions, and you could even say the global economic system had gone through what has been called business cycles, you know, mm -hmm. busts and booms, you know, uh, um, peaks and troughs. And every so often the, um, the, 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 the macro economy would dive and it would start to go into contraction and recession, and then it would kind of come out of it and then it would ascend again. But the Great Depression basically got so deep in its trough that the government, governments and economists were saying, what, what can we do about it? Are there any major levers we can pull? Um, because it's just too damaging for the populace. In, especially in Western economic polities. I mean, politicians were afraid of it because they were getting booted out and whatever. And I've already mentioned kind of the two nemeses, the two things they were really wrestling with in macroeconomics um, in regard to issues of trade and in regard to issues of the money supply and what have you. And that is, the first is inflation, right? right? Where money doesn't buy as much. The value of money goes down. Right. So it takes a lot more money. As economists say, you have uh, a lot more money chasing the same amount of goods and services. Right. So you decrease buying power of money. And that obviously can hurt people, especially on fixed incomes. Right. So mm -hmm. poor people get nailed by a, by inflation. But the second thing that you've got to wrestle with is this issue of unemployment. All right. Because unemployment, when people are out of jobs, it doesn't just hurt the worker, although that's a significant thing. It also reduces you know, capacity for firms. It hurts production and it reduces uh, the resource markets buying power another, uh, it, through a fall of household income. So in other words, the average worker, because they lose their job or they get laid off or whatever, now they don't have incomes. And guess what that does? That then means they're not buying goods and services. And so then the businesses contract all the more. Sure. And they, you end up with this downward spiral. And so um, that was the issue that was the Keynes and others, you know, uh, in this country, FDR was dealing with uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, uh, the, the New Deal and all that. And so, um, and out of this wrote, rose, you know, these, these schools of thought in macroeconomic policy. And at a global level, we do have the things that we've kind of already touched upon, um, these schools of thought in macroeconomic policy. So it's, and it's at this point that we need to remember what we previously have said in our earlier episodes. At least we need to review what we've covered in kind of a summary form um, in regard to the, uh, the, 
the two types of, of, of economic models under capitalism that we covered and the three types that we covered under socialism. So you're saying that so far in the season, we've covered those five major approaches uh, to the economy, um, right. the capitalism as well as socialism? Right. Right. So there's been basically two, as I said, under the heading of capitalism and three under the heading of socialism. These five schools of, of, of opinion in respect to macroeconomic approaches. Now, remember, what we ended up with is we ended up with a, a communism and then um, a, a kind of a, a, a socialism or a kind of a, a strong socialism or a neo-Marxism uh, under the, the, and then also the democratic uh, socialism under the rubric of socialism. So if we kind of, if we're drawing on a board and we tend to see those as you know, historically, they've been called left-wing approaches. They're in the left. So if we put it on the board, we'd put communism all the way to the left. We'd put just a little bit closer in would be um, neo-Marxism. And then we'd have democratic uh, socialism. And those are kind of historically been macroeconomic approaches that fall under the rubric or the, the umbrella of socialism. And then we end up with also uh, market capitalism, and we end up with libertarianism, right? So, um, and and which has to do with full-blown kind of allowance of the markets to take over. Now, if we're talking about macroeconomic policy, remember the the levers we're talking about that 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 economists are trying to 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 push and shove and 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 adjust so that they they can reduce unemployment. And incidentally, historically, I mean there are some exceptions to this, but historically. Um, I think in previous episodes, JM, you mentioned issues of whack-a-mole. You know, you're trying yeah. to, well, this is a real mm -hmm. whack-a-mole issue, right? So you push down historically on unemployment, you tend to increase inflation. And if you push down on inflation and reduce uh, the money supply, so money means, uh, you know, may, uh, is worth more in the market, then you often um, increase unemployment. And so mm -hmm. it's, it's a real balancing act. I mean, you can have like what we had sometime under in the United States, especially in the Carter administration, you have what they call stagflation, where both of them are kind of asserting themselves. But generally, you have a trade-off, almost like a seesaw, right? And so the idea is how do we, we deal with each of these in regard to macroeconomic approaches? Well, we had our five things, right? And we had the, on the far left, we had kind of a state-centered command economy approach, where the state is everything. And then on the far right, we ended up with libertarianism, which had to do with the market takes care of everything. Frankly, neither of those have a macroeconomic approach. Why? Because neither of them believe that you actually should be fiddling with things very much because in state-centered, far-left command economy approaches, there is no macroeconomic approach because the state is thought to properly handle everything. Remember, it's not reliant upon prices really at all. All production targets, all quotas, all prices, all distribution and allocation is taken care of by the state. So the macroeconomic theory on display here is communism, but the fully planned economy is the deal. And uh, um, as a and this has a, a, been a response, essentially, in Marxist thought to advance capitalism. Same thing if we shove it all the way to the right, we end up with libertarianism. Well, there's no macroeconomic approach here. Since market mechanisms are thought best left to handle 
everything, right? So let supply and demand work. Purely embraced in this way, not even the money supply should be tampered with. You shouldn't even have a central banking system because then you start fiddling with stuff and you're mucking about with the, with, with the market mechanism. So the economic theory on display here is laissez-faire free market approaches, kind of like in the United States and a lot of the West we had back in the late 19th century. Right? So this is a complete nod or a reliance upon the invisible hand of the market and the interplay of supply and demand. So both of those are best seen as extremely mechanistic. That is, they rely on a cause-effect mechanism. In the first, the mechanism of the state. In the second, the mechanism of the market. And they shouldn't be tampered with. Now, if that's the case, we're left with these three in the middle, right? And the three in the middle, then, are neo-Marxism, democratic socialism, and monetarism. And let me explain those just a little bit, very briefly, because the first two kind of fall under the, the heading of socialism again. The neo-Marxism is a, an approach, it's, this is what, what uh, could be seen as a macroeconomic approach of ultra-Keynesianism. Remember where Keynes is really trying to rein in unemployment and hold down inflation through what is uh, through monetary and fiscal policy. So in other words, the government spending and a central bank trying to take care of the money supply, right? And this is this is kind of um, ultra Keynesianism, and it gives rise to uh, given the rise of globalization and transnational corporations that were unanticipated by Marx. This came about. Uh, and it was a kind of, and then you ended up with this collective bargaining by way of unions, coupled with, you know, kind of concessions from the corporate sector uh, to a social welfare part of the state. I can sum this up in one thing, this neo-Marxist view. And that is, again, it's, you don't just rely upon the state. You do have markets. But markets in this, from this position are seen, they do not work without a great deal of help, right? So in other words, they will mess up unless the state really intervenes. It needs to intervene and be on guard, All right? So that's neo-Marxism. Then the next one is democratic socialism. And this is still kind of generally under socialism, but again, the markets come into play here. And this could be uh, more the idea of moderate Keynesianism. So you're not fiddling with and centralizing things so much, but the idea is you do want to intervene so that equity is, is, is taken care of, you know, because injustice and, and, and uh, poverty and uh, the, the splintering of the body politic through, through some people have money, some people don't, those are still issues. And it causes problems in regard to a society and a community's social cohesion. And so you've got to deal with that. You've got to deal with abject and desperate poverty. If in, in ultra-Keynesianism, markets do not work without a great deal of help, in this case, democratic socialism, markets work, but they do need help. But they, they, it's not that if the, you don't have the state interacting that they won't work. They do work, but they need to be helped. There needs to be cooperation between the state and market. Then you shift over into what would, you know, the, one of the two under the capitalist idea, if we're not talking about kind of a full-blown laissez-faire capitalism where it's just nothing but supply and demand, we're talking about monetarism. And the economic approach here is what we know in the United States and a lot of the Western Europe is market capitalism. 
And this is where the state or government simply makes sure that private property interests and market signals or prices are not violated or distorted. So there's minimum involvement on the part of the government, on the part of a central bank if you have one, and the government serves more or less just as a referee or an umpire. So in this case, the, the phrase or the, the catch uh, idea would be markets work best left unhindered and uncontrolled. So the government only safeguards private property and minimally maintains price mechanisms and perhaps tries to control inflation, but they're trying to stay out of things. This is kind of what we have seen, especially in the United States since the Reagan years. Britain has seen a lot of it since the Thatcher years, and that's the way the West has been a lot. Okay, so it's not, so we're not looking at communism, we're not looking at libertarianism, those are way too mechanistic. So let's look at these three. How well have each of kind of these final three macro, macro economic approaches that we're talking about, the um, neo-Marxism, democratic socialism, monetarism, of those three approaches, how do they handle inflation and unemployment, which we've kind of set up as these two great enemies um, and that are a real problem for kind of your average Joe, the average worker? Well, the answer to, yeah, to the answer to that is, 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 is somewhat of an open question, to be honest with you. And it kind of depends upon one, you know, we had the, the famous Austrian uh, economist, Joseph Schumpeter, used to call your pre-analytic vision. I mean, JM refers a lot of times to issues wisely, metaphors, right? What metaphor we're using. I think we've even said before, if we haven't said it before, I'll say it at some time and maybe in the next episode, is we've got to mind our metaphors. We've got to be careful. Right. I mean, remember, we've latched on to a mechanistic metaphor, whereas I early on was pre was pressing and pushing, especially from a, a crystal-morphic theological perspective, more of an organic metaphor. So it mm -hmm. kind of depends upon your metaphors or your pre-analytic vision. In other words, what do you think the world is really like? And macroeconomics doesn't answer that for you. You come mm -hmm. to macroeconomics with that view. And so in a sense, this is where we kind of fall back into our theological um, uh, resources to say, where should we be pushed, right? Um, we already stated that we prefer organic versus mechanistic visions or metaphors, right? That's mm -hmm. why the two extremes, the state-centered command economies of full-on com communism and the utter libertarian kind of market is going to handle everything, no matter what, you better not intervene at all and distort the market, those are very much the machine of the state or the machine of the market will take care of anything. And frankly, I think, I want to recommend even, that those are probably, not only do they not have macroeconomic approaches, but they're probably out for us because they're just so machine-like. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. But this leads us with, uh, with, with these three in the middle. Now, I, I basically... I'm not going to answer that question for us. Maybe we'll dive into it a little bit more in our next episode when we start pulling back even further and start looking at issues of climate and bios biospheric challenge and what have you. But I would like to kind of settle down on two closing points in regard to this. So for us, we probably lean, if the listener has not detected it already, <laughs> toward the middle, right? So toward democratic socialism. And that's not because we're trying to be wild and woolly leftist. Already, we've stated that this is kind of toward the middle. Wild and woolly leftists would be communists or ultra-Keynesians, right. right? We're kind of more toward the middle. And in the problem in the United States, I think a lot of times, is we think that the middle is left. And honestly, I'm not certain that on the grand historical stage that's true, yeah. right? 
And, and the reason we've gone toward democratic socialism is that we advocate a narrative approach, remember, to thinking. We early on made that point. Even our theology should be narrative in style. And, so, you know, there is theology that's mechanistic and machine-like. I'd say that even very uh, certain forms of certain really strong uh, canon law Catholicism are strong kind of hyper-legalistic Presbyterianism and Reformed theology is going to yep. be that way, right? And we're probably not going to go for that. But from the second point that I want to say is, besides the fact that we we already kind of, the three of us at least, probably lean toward democratic socialism. But again, I'm leaving this open. What is the pre-analytic uh, vision that the, uh, the listeners bringing to the table? That's what they have to look at and see how does this equate with the Christomorphic narrative lens that they, they've... And if it, it doesn't accord, they need to change their pre-analytic vision. Hmm. But for hmm. many, especially more, more the more conservative Christians, market monetarism and even libertarianism are seen to be the most aligned with biblical, theologically Christian approaches, especially in the United States, right? Wouldn't you guys say that's how... You know, it's like you got... Um, capitalism's obviously the Christian approach. I've heard that so many times. And what they mean is... Yeah, what they mean is kind of market mechanism, right. monetarism, mm -hmm. and even again, some would say even as far as libertarianism. Now, even if listeners do not agree with our tending toward this democratic socialist kind of position, with its focus on equity and its focus on basic human needs, that that best fits a Christomorphic ethic, what I'd like to leave the listener with is the fact that I do hope it's now clear that for a Christian to take a stance as a macroeconomic democratic socialist, this is not a variety of heresy. Mm. It isn't often in our society pictured to be that way, but it is not a disrespect of the biblical narrative. I hope that after this many episodes and this much conversation, even if one doesn't agree, one sees that we're trying to be biblically faithful. Mm -hmm.